Welcome to Brain Fry, the new and improved version of Quiz Time India. We are in season 3 of the podcast. Season 3 comes to you after a long wait and our intent is to make it bigger and better. So fasten your seatbelts and put on your thinking caps. The show is about to begin. Brain Fry, season 3 of the Quiz Time India podcast. This is your host and quiz master, Aditya. Did you know the first podcast ever was a Grateful Dead song? Also, did you know Hindi comic superhero Doga could talk to dogs and Super Commando Drew could converse with dolphins? If you didn't know such textual and contextual kind of facts, then you have come to the right place. Brain Fry, the podcast. The format is simple. As your host, I will tell you and our contestants some stories followed by a question. Each of the stories will have clues hidden inside. The contestant to crack the most questions wins. Having said that, let me remind you the real true objective of the show is to learn new things, to be curious about the world around us, to give you, the listener, some food for thought. So, if you get to know anything interesting, some trivia from this show, you are the true winner. Also, since we are talking about you winning, While the two contestants of today's show trade trivia with me, you, the audience, can also win. There will be an audience question at the very end of this episode. You can answer that question and win some cool prizes. Last week on the show, we had an audience question and as always, we have picked one winner. Here is the question, by the way. In 2023, Ford, as in Ford Motors, released this special edition of the Endeavour. Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston was a brand ambassador for this edition. This car did not come, I repeat, did not come with the following. GPS and communication systems, turn signals, rear view mirrors and windshield wipers. Can you dear listener tell me when and why did Ford release this car? And the correct answer was all of these items were invented by women and it was in celebration of International Women's Day. And the correct answer to last week's audience question was given by Ansif Ansari. Ansif, if you're listening to this, please do reach out. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you so, so very much for participating in the audience question. Now, let us get quizzing. First up are our contestants. We have two of them today. First up, we have Palash. Palash, hello. Hey, Aditya. Palash, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Where are you from and uh, what do you do? I live in Bombay. Uh, I currently run my own practice of uh, consulting for brands for their content strategy and content production. And uh, I have been a quizzer almost all my life, right from my school. Not a good quizzer, I should say. But I find opportunities whenever I can to participate in quizzes. And I always have a ball of a time. So very excited to be here. And Palash, you will be going up against Sumuk. Sumuk, welcome to the show. Hi, Aditya. Hi, Palash. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'm from Bangalore. And uh, like Palash mentioned, I think I have also been quizzing from my school days. I think my uh, oldest memory dates back to first grade, I reckon. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, from then pretty much into quizzes. I mean, not I haven't won a lot of them, but I surely make it a point to go and attend. Just so, you know, I keep my trivia up to date. Lovely. 
Lovely. So now on to this week's quiz. Uh, Palash, Sumuk, uh, let me just quickly remind both of you that the questions will be wide-ranging from movies to literature, science, sports, history, basically everything under the sun. Uh, we will be going quite wide with it. All right. So the first question is for Palash. Uh, I just picked an order and Palash, you will be going first. Uh, Palash, the first question is quite interesting in terms of how global politics impacts food habits. So we are talking about post-war era Japan. And this is something that I came to know quite recently, actually, uh, that how much of a hand America had in how post-war Japan worked. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, even the Japanese constitution was framed by Americans. So, of course, America had a lot of hand and post-war Japan was suffering from a shortage of food. So, America was importing a lot of bread into Japan. Now, there was this one person uh, whose name was Momofuku Ando. Momofuku Ando had had a very interesting couple of years. He had been imprisoned. He had been sent to jail uh, for evading tax. Uh, but then he turned around and said, uh, I wasn't evading tax. I was actually paying the college and uh, school fees of so many hundred thousand children, which seems like a noble gesture. But the government said, no, you were evading tax. But anyways, Momofaku Ando did not like the idea that, hey, why is bread being imported from America into Japan when we have much more nutritious substitutes which are available locally? And he had one particular item in mind. And this item he considered was stamina food. Like you eat it, it's got all the nutrients, you can go on and go about your work and it's the best for a Japanese maybe uh, palate and climate and all of those things. But there was import problems. So, of course, this particular food item was not able to reach every Japanese as Momofako would possibly would have liked. So now using the tools in his shed and through a process of trial and error, he successfully developed the entire production method to come up with a solution for this problem that this food item did not exist. And the process included uh, flash frying, steaming, seasoning, dehydrating in oil heat. And not only was the food he thus made ready to eat in two minutes by adding boiling water, it also had a long shelf life that exceeded that of bread and frozen versions of this food. This item initially was considered luxury. But with time, of course, it became a staple, not just in Japan, pretty much globally. You have to tell me, what was the name of the company which Momofuku Ando started? I think we all know by now what the product could have been. Yeah, correct. It's the instant ramen. And yes. uh, from what I remember, I think instant ramen was voted as the best invention of the last century by the Japanese populace in a survey. Because as you said, it mentioned, I mean, it, it basically brought in, you know, a lot of change in the food habits. I, I don't know the name of the brand. Honestly, I'm just going to go with the most popular instant ramen brand in Japan. I'm going to say Nissin. That is the correct answer. Nissin is the name of the company uh, started by Momo Fuku Ando. And uh, 
some of their famous products are, of course, Top Ramen. And uh, right now, they serve more than 150 different varieties of ramen across or noodles across the world. And it all started because there was bread being imported and more Fakondo thought, why are we eating bread when we have noodles? But then there was not enough flour to make noodles. So he came up with this idea. And in a way, when post-war, much, much post-war, when things sort of calmed down and US and Japanese organizations started working together, it was these noodles which became one of the most biggest benefactors that US markets opened up. And in fact, it was on a trip to US uh, that in 1966, he wanted to see, uh, Ando wanted to see if he could take chicken ramen and grow it outside. He saw some supermarket managers eating chicken ramen inside a bowl. And he saw they broke the ramen up into noodle blocks, then put them in a cup and then poured hot water into it and then started eating them with a fork. And that's when he realized that there is another level of convenience that I can bring to the product. And he made cup noodles out of that. So he started testing styrofoam cups and put hot water, what we basically know as cup noodles. So I really like this idea of how the chain started and how it ended up in the US and how he found something in US, a new way to eat it, which again went all over the world. So that was the first question. Well done, Palash. Also, I think I just remembered, I just remembered a quote by him. I think he lived to be like 100 years old or something or very correct, old. And correct. He was asked, what is the secret to the long life? And he said he eats instant ramen every day. Yep. Which yeah. I wouldn't recommend to any sane person because of the amounts of MSG and whatnot that's present in it. But apparently it worked for Mr. Rando. I thought I recently read somewhere that MSG has come back to like it's safe. I know, uh, I know, yeah, yeah. It goes through those correct, phases. Correct, 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 correct. There is a research every one year where it's like MSG is safe or all. I think it's back to being safe now, but yeah, we never know. By the time the episode comes out, probably it'll not be. <laughs> so, Sumuk, uh, the next question is for you. And this is quite a simple question. This is a quote. I'll tell you who said this also. You have to tell me basically what is being spoken about. For the life of me, I cannot understand why the media questioned his sportsmanship. The laws of cricket make it quite clear that the non-striker must keep within his grounds until the ball has been delivered. If not, why is not a provision there which enables a bowler to run him out? By backing up too early, the non-striker is obviously gaining an unfair advantage. I think I should just flip the question. I think we know what we is, what is being spoken about. I want to make it who said it. But let's just continue with the question. Uh, this was a statement made by Sir Donald Bradman in his autobiography in a portion where he was trying to defend a certain cricketer whose sportsmanship was being challenged. You have to identify who was this person. Okay, so uh, I think this is the Vino Mankard uh, incident, right? So, yeah. Uh, okay, I frankly, I don't have a clue who the batsman was. Yeah, so I'll tell you that. Uh, I just wanted the name Vinu Mankad. Uh, the batsman Vinu was Mankad, Vinu Mankad, of course. Right? I'm sorry? No, the bowler was Vinu Mankad, right? The bowler was Vinu Mankad and the batter yes. was uh, Bill Brown. So, uh, Mankad ran out Bill Brown 
Bill Brown was playing with Donald Bradman. And Bill Brown made a scene and then, of course, the Aussie media and global media, everyone made a scene saying Munkard wasn't being sportsman-like. But then his teammate, Brown's teammate, Donald Bradman came to the defense saying it wasn't his fault. It was always up to Brown to be inside the crease and he did not. And thus defended Vino Munkard in his autobiography. By the way, I just was curious. Do you guys know... What is the official uh, sort of uh, mode of dismissal if someone gets out dismissed? So, like, what does the scorecard say? Does it say run out if someone gets dismissed, a man cut it or? Yeah, it says run yeah. out. Or is it like run out on non-strikers end? No, it's run out. I remember there was some controversy also. Not controversy, but there was some confusion because I think some members of Venu Mankar's family said, let's stop calling it Mankar. Because it sounds like it's something negative and he didn't do anything negative. Correct. But I believe last exactly. year, some other relative has come saying he didn't do anything bad. So why should we, we should, it should be celebrated. So please call it Mankad. So I don't know what the final verdict on that is. It's funny that even years after the original or the first incident, I think the fact that it's still in contention, whether like people are, you know, spirit or all, all of that. So I think... If you really want to get into sp- the spirit of the game, I think what happened yesterday with Tom Curran and the entire thing in BBL, right? So I think could you could you tell us what okay, happened? Okay, so uh, basically Tom Curran uh, during his practice before the start of a BBL game in Australia mm-hmm. uh, was running over the pitch, which is not allowed before the game starts. With if you have spikes on, right? And uh-huh. um, the umpire came in his way and tried to stop him. Uh, but he didn't agree. So the umpire actually stood uh, on the crease trying to prevent Karan from running through and he still didn't stop. So he ran his way through and then he, you know, sort of went from beside the umpire and still ended up running on the pitch. So he was given a ban of four matches uh, oh. in the BBL for, you know, uh, violating the code. No? So I feel like Did internet RCB like these are, up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in fact, I was seeing a tweet actually saying, you know, people are, most cricketers are uh, sane and happy and, you know, blah, 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 until they get picked up by RCB. <laughs> that is so fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, this was the story of Mankard and 47. It's been, what, 75 years? And we're still debating if it's ethical or not. But... Yeah, that was uh, the first question. Well done, uh, Sumuk. Uh, both of you have got off to a great start. Uh, so, Palash, we move to you. And the next question is sort of from the world of literature. There is this graphic novel. It's described as a steampunk graphic novel. It was written by Sydney Padua. Sydney as in Sydney and P-A-D-U-A. Uh, Sydney Padua is the author and this is a steampunk graphic novel. It is basically about two individuals, two real-life individuals. It's called The Thrilling Adventures of X and Y is what I'm going to call it now. There are two people, uh, real-life uh, people. And this novel is set in 19th century England. And the novel explores an alternate universe where these two individuals have successfully built their invention. And then 
they use it for multiple purposes such as fighting crimes correcting manuscripts of different victorian authors and to solve economic problems the fact that all of it takes place in an alternate universe is because although these two individuals had proposed a design for an invention that invention never came alive but their design and their logic for this invention has influenced pretty much all technology developed in this field so i'll quickly summarize all of this in real life uh, there were two people who were sort of pioneers in their work and they came up with this amazingly advanced invention or idea rather that hey we can make this thing they never were able to make this thing but the logic that they used in their papers and how they were going to approach it is what formed the basis of this field eventually so they might have passed away much before but people who were working in that field took their papers took their logic and applied it and created different things now sydney padua what they did was they have thought of a universe like what if these two individuals were able to create the machine that they or uh, the invention that they really wanted to and if they have done it these guys then go on adventures uh, some of which are fighting crime correcting manuscripts of different victorian authors and solving economic problems you have to identify this duo who are considered the first in this field they are both considered like the first in this field and is it the same field or is it two different fields in two different the same field as i said they had kind of worked on a certain project which never came true in their lifetime but the idea behind it or the essence of it is what has led to the entire field being it has guided the entire field in a way i am confused between the two but i am inclined towards uh, for some reason i'm thinking of jules verne and 10000 leagues under the sea or sorry 20000 leagues under the sea and the invention of submarine and uh, the two individuals i'm going to say are jules verne and because it's england i'm going to say hg wells although i don't know if he was involved in anything naval or submarine Edgy Wells is the author, right? Uh, who Jules Verne is also the author. Edgy Wells is also the author. Both of correct, correct. Author, correct. That's an interesting guess. Although I don't think it's right, but that's yeah. yeah, it isn't right, but that is a great guess. I can see with all these ideas of uh, you know what else could have been probably a writer might have come in handy. But that is not the correct answer. Sumuk, would you like to take a crack at this? I'm frankly clueless. I think a hint would do. Uh, I cannot really give a hint, but if I give do give a hint, then there are no points. Uh, one nineteenth century England, and this duo is a male female duo. The man is called the father of this field. The woman is called ah okay. It's Frankenstein. The per- huh? is it Frankenstein? P. V. Shelley and uh, 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 Mary Shelley. Like they basically uh, do a clone. What is like, what is Frankenstein father of like science fiction? I'm guessing. I mean, because you said Victorian England and in 19th century and a, a couple, I just thought Mary Shelley and P. V. Shelley fits the bill, and they probably worked on creating a clone or something like. That. No, 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 no. 
So uh, the man is considered uh, the father of this field and uh, the woman is considered the first proponent of it. If I have to put it slightly, not vaguely, but in a way if I have to explain it, it's like uh, how Henry Ford would be uh, the father of automobiles. I don't know if he's considered, but let's just say he is considered. If he is the father of the field, uh, the lady was the first driver of the field. Like she was the first driver ever. So although the man is said to have come up with the idea of this field, the one who actually put into uh, motion was the lady. So 19th century England, male-female duo. Uh, man is known as the father of the field and the woman is known as the first ever proponent of this uh, occupation. Okay, I'll give you another hint. The lady's father was a famous poet and her mother really did not want her daughter to get into poetry or writings. Like, I already have one person to take care of. I am not letting you get into this. And she encouraged her daughter getting into this field, which she kind of became a pioneer in. So you said the invention didn't really come to life, Yes. Right? So we don't see any... Yes, yes, yes. It is said the closest possible version of what they had intended came true in 1991. So it was the 200th birth anniversary of this guy, the father of the field. It was his 200th birth anniversary when it is said they finally came up with the invention. But by then, of course, a lot of work had been done in this field. Okay, I'll give you one final hint. I think this should... If it clicks, it should uh, open up the entire thing. The book also features a character called Mr. Boole. B-O-O-L-E. Oh, uh, so I mean, I'm guessing this is the Boole of Boolean algebra. Yes. And yes. Uh, I think there's Alan Turing in somewhere here. Much before Turing, much before Turing. Okay. Is it like uh, the... Is it telepathy? No, 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 no. I mean, they wanted to do telepathy, obviously, and then quantum entanglement, but it didn't happen in 1991. Uh, no, man, still clueless. You could... Uh... Okay, this was the field of computers, and we had Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace. Oh, man. For some reason, I always thought they were Americans. Oh. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is the novel, The Thrilling Adventures of Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, in which they both go on uh, adventures after they have created uh, their uh, amazing machine called the Differential Engine of Babbage. Uh, the engine was never constructed by Babbage itself. As I said, the Science Museum in London finally constructed the Differential Engine of Babbage uh, in 1991. There was a printing mechanism which he had suggested or come up with which also was not done in time. In 2002, we finally were able to add a printing mechanism to it. Uh, Ada Lovelace's father was uh, a poet called Lord Byron. I've never read any of his work, but I have heard of his name, definitely. And it is said that her mother got so uh, tired of seeing her father keep at poetry that she was like, do anything but be a poet. So she ended up becoming the world's first programmer. And that is the idea of this uh, graphic novel that these two Victorian characters uh, figure out a supercomputer of sorts and then they solve it for fighting crimes, correcting manuscripts and solving economic problems. Before we go forward, if you, the listener, are listening to this episode so far, I'm guessing you are rather enjoying yourself. 
Am I right in thinking so? I mean, when you have content, and I say content with quotes around it, when you have content at your fingertips, why else would you give someone your valuable time, right? And the reason I'm saying this is because if you have enjoyed this podcast so far, I want you to pick up your phone, go to your podcast player, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and I want you to follow the podcast if you haven't. If you have already, you are the best. But if in case you haven't, do follow the podcast. I will genuinely, truly owe you one. So yeah, follow the show. It's simple as that. Another thing that I want to add right now is uh, also some of you who have been listeners of the podcast Quiz Time India and uh, follow the page on Instagram. Some of you might know that I have been working with a podcast called Spooked. It is produced by Snap Studios. Uh, they are based out of US and they are doing some really amazing podcast work. And uh, on Spooked, I had a really interesting role. As a podcast maker, Spooked is easily one of the most interesting and also the biggest shows that I have worked on. Uh, let me tell you how big it is. It is heard on over 500 public radio stations across the United States and downloaded over 2 million times every month. That is quite a big number for a podcast. Uh, my profile on the show was that of a story scout. So the show Spooked is about uh, first-hand paranormal experiences of people. And uh, my role was to find these first-hand paranormal stories from India. And uh, then we present it uh, to the audience. So if you are from India or an Indian subcontinent, and if you had a paranormal experience, please do reach out to me on social media at the rate podcast studio 41. And on email, uh, that is studio41podcast at gmail.com. Now on with the quizzing. Oh, the next question. You will love the next question. It's to Sumuk, right? It's Sumuk's direct. Yeah, yeah. The next question is for Sumuk. Sumuk, this is again, I think, something that all of us have heard of or are familiar with in certain shape or form. But the story behind it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, 1968, a Soviet submarine armed with nuclear warheads suffered a mechanical failure and disappeared in the Pacific. The US wanted to know what exactly the Soviets had lost. But how do you recover a 2,000-ton submarine that's more than 16,500 feet underwater? I think it was a global news a few months back when that uh, tiny sub sank at the bottom of the Pacific. Similar problem, but 50, 60 years ago. This time, a Soviet submarine with possibly nuclear warheads has disappeared in the Pacific. Americans want to know what exactly was in there. Now, the CIA toyed with ideas like rockets and balloons to bring it up, though those were quickly dismissed. Then came in Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was a filmmaker, engineering pioneer, aviation pioneer, billionaire, the focus of the movie Aviator by Martin Scorsese. It's about him. He came into the picture. Hughes said, to CIA, okay, basically they came up with a plan that said, Hughes will undertake this venture where he'll send a vessel to the bottom of the Pacific to search for manganese nodules. He wanted manganese for some research and Hughes is undertaking it on his own accord and he's going to go to the bottom of the Pacific and find it. But 
Hughes was going to do it on behalf of CIA and there was no manganese nodules. It was to find the sub and to see what was inside that sub. While they were planning to do this, uh, Hughes' company used a 620-foot ship called the Hughes Glomar Explorer. Hughes as in H-U-G-H-E-S, Glomar as in G-L-O-M-A-R, Hughes Glomar Explorer, to recover the sub in the spring of 1974. So six years after it had uh, submerged, uh, Hughes' company sent this ship, the Hughes Glomar Explorer, they went and they went looking for this sub. They could only retrieve half of it. That's where the story should have ended. But a Rolling Stone journalist, Harriet Ann Philippi, sought a Freedom of Information Act request about the recovery efforts in 1976, which I believe is their RTI, American RTI. So the journalist, Harriet, put a request about the recovery efforts in 1976 to which CIA responded with a now famous phrase. Today, this phrase is known as the Glomar response. So as I said, the ship was called Hughes Glomar Explorer. And today, this phrase, so CIA did reply to this journalist Harriet Ann Philippi, but they use a particular phrase and today, that phrase is known as the Glomar response. Used quite often in diplomacy. Okay, might not often, but used fairly enough in diplomacy, in such requests. If someone, you know, RTI requests also, probably you might see this. So basically, Harriet probably got wind that CIA had unofficially contracted Howard Hughes to send a submarine 18,500 feet down underwater. So they asked them, was it true? What did you go there looking for? What was the project? What did you find? All of those details is what they asked for. And then the CIA responded with a certain particular phrase, which is today known as the Glomar response. I'm just trying to think of what uh, answers probably are someone in politics would give on news outlets to diverge from a question. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Not we'll be moving on to Palash. So Smook, would you like to give it one shot? Even a Tukka could do. Something, probably something out of bounds? Or? Not a bad something guess. Not I... a bad guess. Not a bad guess. Oh. It's vague enough. It doesn't give the information. <laughs> but not the correct answer. <laughs> Balash, would you like to give it a crack? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know the answer, but the one phrase that's coming to my mind is the famous line from A Few Good Men, which could also be a response to someone asking what they want to know. And I'd say you can't handle the truth. I would have loved it if they had said it. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> but no, that is not the correct answer. <laughs> I'll just give out the correct answer. It was much more simpler, humbler. We can neither confirm nor deny. Oh. But I would have loved it oh, if they wow. said you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it was much more simpler. Uh, we can neither confirm nor deny that Howard Hughes and all of these people were involved in this project. And basically, that's where the entire chain of questioning just stopped. 
Palash, we move to you. I'll read out some names, huh? Diplomat Deluxe. Colonel's Special. Black Knight. Solon Number no. 1 Whiskies. London Dry. Big Ben Gin. These are some of the products made by this organization or entity. Although their first product ever was Asia's original beer, Lion. Lion beer was manufactured in 1855 from a brewery set up in Himachal Pradesh to cater to the British requirement for cheap beer. There was a great demand of thirsty British administrators and troops stationed in the heat of India for a nice crisp bottle of beer. And that's where Lion Beer came up. It was appreciated by all that, oh, this is great tasting. This is just like home. And in fact, one of the posters for this Lion Beer was a British man holding a beer saying, as good as back home. That was 1855. Since then, the company or this entity, this brewery rather, has changed hands many, many times over. and. Around the 50s and 60s, it came in the hands of one Vedratan. Now, Vedratan was also taken in by these uh, certain sects of people and the people who lived in these Himalayan mountains. He really liked the idea of being uh, sort of not indigenous, but uh, using things which are local to you and uh, living your life in a very simplistic manner. And that's what he wanted. He wanted the serene life. And that's what, he, uh, when he created this product, uh, this uh, alcohol, that's what he wanted. He wanted to brew this alcohol in the same essence of the people that he saw around him. And he thought the people in the mountains led their life in much more contentment. And that is where he got the idea for creating this particular drink. You have to tell me which drink am I talking about? This brewery has made up Stuff like Lion's Beer, which was probably the first, then Diplomat Deluxe, Colonel Special, Black Knight, Solon Number no. 1 Whiskey, London Dry, and Big Ben Gins. But there is one product which just sh- shines through. I'm guessing it's a serene life and Himalayas. I'm going to guess Old Monk. It is Old Monk. How did you know that? Like uh, any particular like piece of trivia i mean this has gone around a while yeah it's also it's also the the trivia that i know i mean i i got i i guessed old monk because you said this vedratan guy wanted to do it in the spirit of hmm. you know the simple life contentment etc that gives away monk hmm. what i also knew is uh general dyer the infamous guy who caused uh, who ordered the massacre of jalian malabar i think it was his father or grandfather who once owned this factory yeah who once owned this brewery. And uh, so Old Monk actually comes from a very, very dark and macabre past uh, related to it. Uh, that's the piece of trivia I know. And that's why I sort of connected that it's British and serene. And so it's Old Monk. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Edward Dyer, a Scot, had set up the original brewery in Kasoli in Himachal in 1855. And the Lion Beer was their primary product then. And then Vedratan Mohan, uh, who is from Mohan Makin, the company who's making it today, Dyer, uh, they launched uh, Old Monk in 1954. Dyer, Edward Dyer is the father of Colonel Reginald Edward Dyer, the officer, as you mentioned correctly, who was in charge of Jallianwala Bagh massacre in 19 of 19. 
again this is something that probably people have heard of but i never knew of other alcohol brands like these diplomat deluxe and colonel special and that there was one beer called uh, line beer and probably one of the first indian beers to be like brewed in india so that was an angle that i was looking into well done you cracked it there was a great answer other so smoke this question for you the last question for today is quite simple it's quite straightforward and uh, just like i did with palash i will be taking you back through time and this time we are in the year 1937 and one jawaharlal nehru has been elected as the president of the indian national congress for a third time now third time is quite a lot there could be anti incumbency but he does come through but there are a few murmurs in congress circles about the possibility of nehru ending up as an authoritarian head of the political party people are wondering like he everyone loves him uh, third time he's been the chief he's probably bapu's favorite maybe tomorrow he turns around on us and he just takes over the party soon after an essay emerges in the modern review modern review is a calcutta based monthly journal in this essay Uh, the essay was titled by the way called uh, rashtrapati or the president right in this essay titled rashtrapati written by a person under the pseudonym of chanakya this person compares nehru to caesar julius caesar someone who could turn into a dictator with a little twist the article puts impetus on questioning the motive of the leaders and keeping a check on their power especially of someone like nehru the author stressed how powerful leaders like nehru can be a threat to democracy as i said it was a pseudonym turns out this person was also from the congress and was one of their most important leaders can you try and guess and tell me who was chanakya Okay, I'm I'm quite bad with Indian history, but I think I'll give it a shot. Mm. So the idea is quite simple. Nehru has uh, become president of Indian National Congress for the third time. People are already seeing like, what if tomorrow Nehru starts just takes over the party, and then an essay is written in Modern Review called Rashtrapati saying Nehru might just become like Caesar if he's given a little twist. and we need to keep a check on him and people or rather leaders like nehru are a threat to democracy chanakya wrote this who is chanakya uh so i am trying to gauge the people who were probably uh, you know close to gandhi or mm. you know someone who would uh probably want to get into power who wasn't you know that uh. uh prominent at that time yeah alash do you have any guesses i'll come to you in a bit but do you have any guesses i have guesses but i'm not entirely sure maybe you can move on to palash while i also run my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> so i'll be moving on to palash palash who do you think is this person chanakya who wrote this article so i think uh, i have two guesses i'm going to say I'm going to guess rather Sardar Patel, Sardar Vallabhai Patel. 
simply because I think he was a very prominent leader at the time and he seemed to be, I mean, he just seems like the kind of person who would use a pseudonym Chanakya. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's my guess. Well, that is not the correct answer. And I feel bad for saying this now, but this was what we usually call a trick question. It was Nehru himself who wrote that article in that uh, magazine under the name Chanakya. Wow. Basically, he, he himself mm-hmm. thought that a third time unopposed, the fact that if I'm coming through, it could lead to yes men coming up. It could lead to maybe my motives or my intentions taking over the party's intentions. And that is what he thought was required at that time to keep himself and the party members in check. So he wrote an article basically trashing himself, saying he is close to being a dictator. And yeah, so it was Nehru himself who wrote that Very article. Interesting. I mean, that tells you about the caliber of the man. How secure yes. do you have to be? I mean, we can mm. discuss policies all day long. and But just to be so secure with himself, like, hey, I'm going to trash myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alright, so with this, we are at the end of uh, this episode, but we will be back with Sumuk and Palash again next week. Uh, so far, the score is in Palash's favor. It is just 2-1 though, so there's a whole lot to play with. And yeah, as I said, we will be back soon. We will be back next week with part 2 of this conversation. More interesting questions, stories and trivia. This was Brain Fry and before we go, there is an audience question. Here is this week's audience question. What is the name of the world's first cloned cat? Yes, what is the name of the world's first cloned cat? Alright, so you can send in your answers. Uh, You can go out on social media, the handles on Twitter, Insta, are at the rate PodStudio41. That's PodStudio41. And if you want to email us, that is Studio41Podcast at gmail.com. The handles are also in the description. That is all for today. My name is Aditya Mattu and I am your quiz master, host and producer of the show. Editing, sound design and original music by Mukubai. The quiz masters for this episode were Shakti Shetty, Dr. Ashwini Natu, Mondeep, Aheer, Keshav, Kaushik, Pranjal, Ayush and Ananda. Ananda also helped in the overall framing of the questions and the flow of the episode. So a big thank you to everyone who was involved. One last important thing before we go. Once again, I have been working with a podcast called Spooked in which I have to find first-hand paranormal stories from India. So if you are from India or the Indian subcontinent, please do reach out to me on social media at at the rate podcast studio 41 or on email at studio 41 podcast at gmail.com. Yes, social media is Insta, Twitter. It's all the same at the rate podcast studio 41 and on email it is studio 41 podcast at gmail.com. You can also, by the way, share your feedback on these IDs. Also, 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 if there is a question or a trivia heavy story that you think will suit the podcast, please do share it with me on the same IDs that I mentioned before. That is all for today. See you next week. Thank you for your time. You can thank me for mine.